The sermon today is based on the gospel lesson, which comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and you can find it on page 962 of the Pew Bible. Please stand as you're able for the gospel from Matthew 5, beginning at verse 13, we read in Jesus' name. Jesus is speaking and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us now in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And you may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain things in life where if you're missing one piece of information, it can ruin the whole thing or leave you in great confusion. For example, if you're baking a cake, which I have not done very many times, but once or twice, if you're baking a cake and you miss the part about how you have to mix the ingredients, you will have a very crummy cake. And I don't mean in the way that all cakes are kind of crummy. Imagine if you baked a cake without mixing the ingredients. One part would be very, very eggy. Another part would just be a clump of flour. And one random little bite somewhere in there would be extremely salty. The mixing step is essential. Or suppose that you're a child in school, and I don't know what grade they teach this in, but you're learning multiplication for the first time. And the teacher starts with two times two, and you think to yourself, oh, that's easy, I already know this, it's just like addition. And so you stop paying attention. And then your next math test, you only get one question right out of 50. You thought that you aced it, so you have no idea how you got so many wrong or why the teacher thinks one right is 2%. You're missing something and it's very confusing. And Jesus teaches us something in this passage which if we miss it, could leave us confused or just plain wrong. It's where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If we do not understand this about Jesus, he will be a very confusing character to us, and we will really have no chance at understanding Christian doctrine. Because at one moment, Jesus seems to care about obedience to the law more than anything else in the entire universe. And at another moment, he acts as if the law doesn't even matter at all.
when we, uh, when we use the word law, by the way, we mean God's commandments. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The law is the divine word which tells us what we must do. If we're missing part of the formula of Jesus, it can be very confusing because Jesus, he might appear as a strict master at one moment and just a plain old hippie at the next moment. But in reality, Jesus is neither of these things. On the strict side, Jesus says things like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's true. Or a little later, he gets even stricter than what we thought the law originally was. He says, uh, and this is uh, uh, in the passage that Kerwin's going to preach on next week, so I'm not going to steal too much of his thunder. But, but Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now that's really strict. That's a moral standard that condemns all of us to hell in the blink of an eye. And there are many more statements like this. Jesus applies the same intensity to the sin of adultery, saying that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, and again, the penalty for this is hell. But then at other times, Jesus seems very accepting. He forgives sins before people even confess them. We have many examples of this. Uh, for one, some people, they, they bring a paralytic to Jesus, lying on a mat. And before the guy even says anything, Jesus says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. On another occasion, he walks up to an adulterous woman at a well, and he offers her eternal life before she even confesses that she has any problem at all. Another time, the scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman who was caught, caught in adultery, and this was kind of a challenge to Jesus. It's kind of like, okay, you claim to care about the law. Here you go. What are you going to do with this woman who was caught breaking the law? But Jesus does not condemn her. At other times, Jesus welcomes tax collectors, prostitutes, various other kinds of sinners. He accepts them, and he dines with them. It's all very confusing, right? It's like we have two different Jesuses, one that values the law above all things and another who accepts people so freely that he doesn't seem to even care about the law. And so it's like we have two different Christian religions, one that judges all sinners and another that accepts all people and every behavior. So what gives? We might think that the truth is somewhere in the middle, like we should find a happy medium maybe, like there's a hot water tap and a cold water tap, and we just need to find the right balance between the two. Then we'll find the real Jesus and the real Christian religion. No, banish that idea from your minds. All we would have then is a lukewarm Jesus who is really no good to anybody. And it would not explain why Jesus speaks one way at one time and another way at another time. The real Jesus, who is serious about the law in one moment and accepting of all sinners in the next moment, does not fit into a happy medium. It's too small. It's too narrow for him. The answer must be that both of these extremes are true at the same time. And so the solution is this. When Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, 
but to fulfill them. Jesus takes the law very seriously, and we should too. When we consider the conflict that Jesus often had with the scribes and the Pharisees in his day, it might seem to us that the scribes and Pharisees just took the law too seriously. But this is false. They did not take the law too seriously. That is really impossible to do. Jesus took the law more seriously than they did. If anything, they were too relaxed with the law. They were not strict enough. The basic problem was that the scribes and Pharisees thought that the law was attainable. They thought that if they tried hard enough, they could do it. And so they kind of saw the law as a test, one which, if we pass it, God will grant us eternal life. And they thought that this test was passable. And this is really why they created extra traditions and extra commandments. It's why they added instructions about how far you could walk on the Sabbath day or how you could make a divorce acceptable. And so they attempted to explain how each commandment was obtainable. They, they felt the need to explain exactly how a person could keep the law because they believed that someone could. And so they thought they had to explain the extent that you had to obey each commandment, what, what you had to do and what you could kind of just let go and still pass the test. But Jesus has a much higher and a much stricter view of the law. And so Jesus knows that we are not capable of keeping it, and yet he still commands us to keep it. Believing that we can earn eternal life, or, or even just some higher status in the eyes of God, or some special favor from him, believing that we can earn something like that is legalism. And I want to take just a brief moment to talk about this word legalism. Sometimes this word gets used wrongly, especially when people are arguing about the law. It happens on the internet a lot because a lot of bad speech happens on the internet, but sometimes it happens in real life too. If one person thinks that another person is being too strict or taking the law too seriously, they'll pull out the insult of all insults. You're being a legalist, or at least in theology, that's the insult of all insults. I've been called a legalist in this way. What does that mean? Well, it usually means that you're being too insistent on obedience to the law. But it is impossible to be too insistent on the law because the law is good. It is impossible to take it too seriously. We should all take it much more seriously than we actually do. If someone is doing something that is a sin, it is absolutely right to tell them not to do it. Now, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about that, but telling a person not to sin is good. That's pretty basic, but we need to understand that. And it's not legalism either. Legalism is not taking the law too seriously. Legalism is believing that by observing the law, we can earn something from God, either eternal life or some extra credit or a little bit of extra status in his eyes. That's legalism, and it's really a low view of the law and a high view of man's ability. But it is certainly not taking the law too seriously. On the other side is what 
we could call antinomianism. Now that's a fancy theological word. It's a little bit fancier than the word legalism, and so if you don't remember it, that's okay. It comes from the Greek word namas, which means law. Antinomianism means to be against the law. It means that you oppose the law, or you want to abolish it, or maybe you just kind of ignore it. And this is what some people thought Jesus was doing when he accepted sinners, all of them. Or at least it seems that way if we're missing the key part of the formula. It seemed like Jesus was just too accepting of some people. But just like taking the law too seriously, that's really impossible to do. You cannot really be too accepting of a person because every person is a precious eternal soul created in the image of God and God loves each person to an unfathomable extent. But if we only notice that Jesus is accepting of all people and we ignore how serious he is about the law and if we miss the part about him fulfilling the law, we might think that Jesus accepts all people because all people are really good. So why does Jesus accept all people? Why did he accept those adulterous women, prostitutes, tax collectors, and all kinds of sinners? Was it because their sin wasn't really that bad? That's kind of how the world treats sin today. They say things like, love is love. Now, what does that mean? Literally, it doesn't mean anything, but people do mean something when they say it. And I think they mean that nobody really has a right to define what love means for someone else. If someone calls something love, you have to accept that. And love, however someone wants to define it, is always good. And I think this is what they mean when they say love is love. And so everyone gets to decide for themselves what love is, and that is always good. Part of the problem this way, with this way of thinking, though, is that God does actually get to define what love is. And God has defined it. His commandments, or what we call the law, defines what love is. This also flips the entire concept of love on its head. Instead of being self-sacrificial, love ends up being whatever we want it to be. It takes selfishness and self-indulgence and calls it love when it's really the exact opposite. Now, one of the ironies of this antinomianism is that it usually ends up being very moralistic. You get rid of certain laws, but a world without laws is a moral vacuum. You thought that getting rid of those laws would make the world better, but it's not better, so something must still be wrong with it. And you can't help but create different laws to fill the void. So you try to make a law out of tolerance, and it ironically ends up being very intolerant, because you have to silence anyone who's not tolerant in the way you want them to be tolerant. It's also ironically moralistic in that the basis for accepting a person is by changing moral standards to make more people fit into those moral standards. But, but we notice that there's always something beyond those standards. There's always, there's always a bridge too far that, that we're just not willing to cross. And so there still ends up being people who are not acceptable because they're just a bridge too far. And this actually falls short of the kind of acceptance that Jesus has for all people, with no exceptions. 
And so the really ironic thing is that it makes the, the new kind of acceptance really weak. And the downright tragic thing is that it makes forgiveness irrelevant. If everyone is good, or at least if most people are good, and all these choices are good, then what's really so special about accepting all of this? Is it really all that difficult to accept something that's good? It even makes Jesus' acceptance rather shallow. I mean, if Jesus looks at us and thinks, eh, they're not so bad, and I can understand where they're coming from, then it doesn't really cost him that much to accept us. But we need to understand why Jesus accepted and still does accept all people. And we also need to recognize the extent to which Jesus accepted all people, what it cost him and how he accepted all people. Jesus did not accept all people because we're really good. He accepted all people because we're really bad and we really need him to take us. And so Jesus' acceptance does not stop at saying, hey, you're okay. It's fine to commit adultery or slough off at work or despise your parents because they don't really get it anyway. If Jesus accepts us because we're really not that bad and others don't understand us, but he gets us, then his acceptance doesn't really have that much depth or value to it. But Jesus does not say that we're okay. He doesn't say that you're okay. To the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Jesus can, at the same time, wholeheartedly accept a person and tell them that they are a moral mess. And he does both as an act of love, because it's not good for us or those around us for us to be a moral mess. And so for Jesus to accept you does not mean that he pretends that you are okay, nor does he tolerate your sin. For him to accept you means that he accepts that sin as his own. He takes it into himself. And this is a much more extreme kind of acceptance than the world ever expected. He hates our sin so much that he accepts it as his own so that he can go and get rid of it. And this is what Jesus means when he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. He kept every commandment perfectly. He fulfilled the law in himself, and he fulfilled it in our place and for our sake. And this is why he accepts all people. This is how he accepts all people. He accepted us. He accepted our sin as his own. He took it into his own body, and he accepted the consequence of it, which is death. And not just any kind of death, but a death being forsaken by God and brutally condemned. He was forsaken by his father because that's the consequence of sin. And he did all of this willingly and even joyfully so that together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he can accept you as a redeemed and forgiven child. Because Jesus has kept every commandment perfectly, and because he has taken your sin away from you, he gives you his perfect righteousness in its place. And so this law is fulfilled in you as a gift from Jesus. He fulfilled the law and he gives that fulfillment to you. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.